Heads up, friends. The unofficial Shopify podcast is made by indie entrepreneurs for indie entrepreneurs and may contain material not suitable for all audiences, like swearing or economics. Listener discretion is advised. Customer order updates got you freaking? How about your customer? Let's check in with them. Where is my order? I expect a response in 20 minutes, or I'll leave a one-star review everywhere, including your mom's house. Yikes. What if customers could find their own orders with Ventoff Order Lookup, the Shopify app that makes order tracking a breeze? With Ventoff Order Lookup, customers quickly and easily search for their own orders in your store with their email address or their order number. No more wasting time and losing your sanity trying to track down orders for customers. Try Ventoff Order Lookup today and get your order tracking under control. Just search Order Lookup in the App Store to start your free trial. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. You know what? My order was at the front door the whole time. Five stars. Welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast, where we talk to entrepreneurs making their way on Shopify. And today we're talking to Derek Miller, the founder and CEO of Genius Lab Gear. Derek is a scientist turned entrepreneur. He is on a mission to make scientific research easier and more enjoyable for scientists by reinventing laboratory tools. We're going to hear about his latest product launch, where he is taking a unique approach by crowdsourcing the design and crowdfunding the manufacturing of lab coats. I am excited to dig into that. I'm your host, Kurt Elster. Check nasty. And this is the unofficial Shopify podcast. Derek, welcome. Thanks. I'm excited to be here, Kurt. You know, my, my honor and pleasure to have you here because I was on your site and I noticed you sell a variety of items that appear to be machined, anodized aluminum coming from automotive, coming from biking, coming from RC, like so many of my hobbies. Anodized aluminum products tickle my brain. There's <laughs> so they're always cool. I love it, and I'll tell you why I did it is because when I started the business, my first few product ideas were more about uh, they're more intricate, and they needed injection molding. And then I found out that the injection molds cost like thirty thousand dollars, and I didn't have an audience. I didn't have any website traffic, uh, so I had to nix that. And anodized aluminum sheet metal parts are much cheaper to, to manufacture in small volumes. And so we could get, you know, 100, 200 at a time just by bending some sheet metal and, and anodizing it into all the prettiest colors you can imagine. And then, of course, laser engraving your logo on there. That's the most fun part. Mach just machined metal in bright colors. Uh, I'm like a child. Just to be I'm like, oh, I should play with this toy. Um, okay. So let's start at the top. What? does Genius Lab Gear sell? So it, it kind of comes from my background. I've spent my whole life in scientific research. I'm a materials scientist and engineer by training. And in all of the labs that I've worked in, it's been this consistent theme of just constant frustration. Like that is the everyday laboratory research experience. Things rarely go well. And the tools that scientists and engineers normally use are, they're designed to do the thing well that is supposed to do. And they're not designed to help the person do the thing well. Uh, and so I wanted to focus on making some clever tools and accessories that help make laboratory research easier for the person. So not big scientific machinery, just small, clever, helpful things that make your day a little bit easier in the lab. I like the idea, certainly if you're in a space and you are an expert there and you go, look, I've got these everyday pains. I could see colleagues and friends having the same issues. I could figure out a better way to do this. And you are a, you said, uh, material science engineer. Yeah, that's right. So certainly that, I think, gives you a, a leg up here and an understanding of, of manufacturing more so than the average person, I would suspect. That's got to be so open-ended. Like, once you have made that decision, what's the first thing that comes to mind? How do you decide? You have to go into the lab and you have to watch people work and you have to see where they run into problems and then address it. And that's that's what I did. The anodized aluminum part you were talking about, 
somebody was using a piece of cut out styrofoam as a prop to hold up a cell culture plate in their lab. Um, and it wasn't even what they were showing me. I asked them to tell me their problems and they were showing me some other things. And I saw this person in the corner doing this. And I said, wait a second, what are they doing over there? Why are they using a piece of crumbly styrofoam uh, in their fume hood? And that turned out uh, to be my first real like laboratory research product. Um, and it was, again, just make a, a tilted plate holder out of anodized aluminum. And I went back to deliver the final product to them uh, like three months later, and they were still using the 3D printed plastic part that I had given them to test, which was degrading because it gets UV toast every, every night when they try to clean out the hood. So that was how I knew that they, I really solved the problem for them is when they're still using the, the crappy 3D printed part three months later. The prototype, uh, what did, what material did you use for the, the 3D printed part? Uh, it was just some standard like PLA and I went on PLA. Shapeways and put in the CAD model and they shipped, you know, shipped it to me pretty inexpensively. Oh, yeah. Before I owned a 3D printer, which is like an exercise in frustration, you're going to spend six to 12 months just trying to figure it out. Prior to then, I would order stuff off. Uh, models off Shapeways. It's great. Well, I, I'm saying this for our our listeners' benefit that if you're like, man, I wish I could just, you know, prototype this quickly, Shapeways does it and it's like you know, 10 bucks for a small model. Yeah. It's really, it's quite It's affordable. gotten so much easier. Yeah. If you're only going to do a few rounds of it, just, just hire it out. It's not expensive at all. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, so you create this first product, but then, you know, of course the, the question is always, who's going to buy it? Who's going to care? Like once you, you have made this this product, which if we want people to visualize it, uh, imagine phone stand, like that's the closest closest idea here. Who are you selling it to? Who's the audience? Or how do you get the audience? Actually, I, I tried a lot of different things when I started. And the thing that actually stuck is I designed a few stickers. Um, after, after failing at the molded, the injection mold blocks, I just said, let's just do stickers. <laughs> let's keep it simple. Um, and where I finally got traction was I interacted with some groups on Instagram that were more cause based. They were, one was about mental health in grad school. Um, another one was for the LGBT community in scientific research and they wanted, they needed to raise funds. They needed to do a fundraiser. And so they, all they had was an Instagram account and a basic WordPress website. And I said, I have a tool called Shopify, which I can use to host your fundraiser if you like, and I can handle all the admin work and all the order fulfillment, and I'll give you all of the proceeds. And we'll just put it up on my website and you drive traffic to my website and um, you'll, you know, we'll do the fundraiser that way. And so the first one I raised, you know, $2,000 on selling $5 stickers for this group. And they drove, you know, 300, 500 orders to my website when I was getting, you know, maybe one a week before that. I didn't really make any money off those stickers, but every once in a while somebody would pick up something else that they saw on the website that they liked. I had some print-on-demand products uh, to go along with them. And it built a lot of goodwill and it introduced people to my brand. And then from there, then I had, you know, the 1,500 followers on Instagram, the kind of core foundation that I could start to interact more and engage more with the community and build out some more product ideas and get them more engaged in, you know, what kinds of things we should approach next. So by helping these people out at break-even with cause marketing, using something simple like stickers, which were these print on demand? No, uh, they can be. They can be print on demand for like $5 and there's only maybe a dollar margin on that, but you can get them for 50 cents on a sticker mule a couple hundred at a time. Uh, and so selling them for $5, you know, the margin, I was getting 2 to $3 to the um, organization for every sticker sold. And Redbubble, you know, is what a lot of people would use. <laughs> I looked at their margins and they're terrible. So they actually made more money per sticker uh, selling it on my website and me sending them the profits than if they did it themselves through, say, Redbubble. Oh, it, yeah, because Redbubble, it functions like print-on-demand marketplace. Exactly. Versus, like, at Shopify, if you want to sell a sticker, A, we could just, you could source and list the sticker. And you're, I, I've gotten plenty of stickers made with Sticker Mule. They're good. Yeah. Um, but you can also do, you can have, do print-on-demand with stickers as well, but just it. Like the unit cost does not make sense because like to fulfill, for them to fulfill an individual die cut sticker is going to be 10 X. If you just had them send you a stack of 50 stickers and usually exactly. it's like have, the minimum order quantity, not crazy. It's like 50 and you know, you could usually, if you're a first time customer, find like 
several coupons and pay like 30 bucks. Exactly. Yeah, they, they run promotions. Uh, sometimes I get like 50 for $20 or something just to, just to test out a new sticker. And so you're able to assist these folks with a, a fundraising campaign. Uh, and in doing so, you have built, you start to acquire an audience, got 1,500 people on Instagram. Now we've got some traction there. And so do you start seeing that translate to orders for that original core product, the, the Petri dish stand? So what I did from there um, is I was still kind of searching for what other products can I make that are simple, but I don't want to be a sticker store. There were other people doing stickers very well on Shopify or uh, on Instagram in the scientific community, and they were much better graphic designers than I was. I don't want to be a sticker store. I don't want to be a t-shirt store. I want to make actual lab products. So I was just kind of browsing around, trying to see what can I reinvent and make specifically for my audience with something simple that I can take and I can just customize it and make it 10 times better for one specific type of person. And what I ended up making was um, basically a metal pocket tool. And so it's the size of a credit card. And the first one I made was called the Pocket Scientist, which was a play on the Rocket Scientist. And it was, you know, it's a ruler, it's a stencil, it's got a protractor compass on it, and it's got a ton of reference information that a scientist might use in their everyday job. So periodic table, um, other physical constants, Planck's constant, things like that, uh, and some equations. That was the first one that I made, and that one did okay. Uh, I just kind of came out, ta-da, here it is. Uh, here's this thing I made, which wasn't the best approach. Uh, but what actually did better was when, it, and you might think scientist is niche, but it was actually too broad. Uh, when I made the next one, the pocket chemist, that one did even better. And then I made the pocket engineer, which is the top selling one right now. And then the pocket physicist. And so by niching down even more than that, it was tuned more specifically to a specific person. And that really, uh, is what built the, the foundation of my business right now. And let me grow the audience, grow the revenue, um, and approach some of the more difficult problems in the future. And so the issue here was scientist was too broad. Like to a lay person, it doesn't sound broad. And immediately I picture a dude in a lab coat. But the reality is that's like saying professional. Like it's, it's, it's just too broad a label where you know, the people you're targeting might work in the scientific field, but I identify as chemist, not scientist. Exactly. I mean, a lot of people identify as a scientist, but it's, it's just too broad. Um, you know, if you take the fitness community, for instance, you might say you're into fitness, but are you into CrossFit or are you into yoga? Right? Those are very different things and they need different products for them. And so, you know, to, to everyone outside of this niche, scientist is niche, but to me, it's it's the whole niche. It's, it's much too broad and we got to go even deeper. And so even further, I was recently trying to make a pocket biologist and I posted about it on Reddit and everybody said, that's too broad. You need to go pocket microbiologist, pocket molecular biologist, pocket biochemist. Those are all very different sub subsets. And the nice thing is with these specific products, the MOQs are low enough that I can start to address those individually without dumping a ton of money into it. And so these are, they're like credit card size, they're laser cut metal cards, they're neat. How did you figure out that you had gone too broad? And then once you did, how do you know where to go, right? Like you're not a paleontologist. How would you know what goes into that product or to even that there are enough paleontologists that they'll buy this product? <laughs> Yeah, well, I figured out the best way is just to ask them. Uh, and so through my Instagram connections uh, and then later on Twitter and then now my email list, I have a pretty good network of people I can reach out to to start to get help on these. So the, the first couple I designed myself because that was my background. And I started to get a little bit out of my comfort zone uh, technically and I wasn't exactly sure. And so I had to talk to both teachers and professionals about what would be put onto these cars, what's useful and what, what you would need in your everyday work. And uh, most recently, I just announced uh, the Pocket Paleontologist. And in that email, instead of saying, here's a new product, go buy it, I said, here's the newest product we made, and here's the person that helped us make it, and here's the process we went through to make it together. And that was the whole email. Um, and here's why we decided to include everything on it. So less salesy, more about the story of the product. And at the end, I said, uh, by the way, we have at least 10 more ideas we want to do for these. If you're an expert, contact us. And the next day I had four or five new emails in my, in my inbox of experts in each field, ready and willing to help out to, uh, to help me make a new one. That is phenomenal. 
And so you sorted through those and you share those stories. This adds legitimacy, authenticity, interest. Exactly. Yeah. Because obviously we can't be experts in all of these fields. And so we've started, uh, you know, naming, tagging the experts in the fields that have actually helped us make it and design it. And that's, that's gone a long way for the credibility. Is your Shopify store out of gas? Get up and running again with Zipify Pages. Zipify Pages is a one-of-a-kind landing page and sales funnel builder for Shopify merchants. Their impressive library of templates comes from their own $170 million Shopify store. And it has a template for every kind of page you need to build a high-converting e-commerce store quickly and for a lot more profit. You can use Zipify Pages to improve any page on your store. You can customize product pages, category pages, and even your homepage so you can make a lot more sales. Plus, all pages are optimized for mobile and built-in split testing helps you maximize your results. It's no wonder Zipify Pages is used by over 5,000 Shopify merchants. Go to zipify.com slash Kurt. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash K-U-R-T to start your 14-day free trial today. And to get an unadvertised gift, email help at zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. The other thing I noticed that I think adds credibility is for each of these cards, because essentially, like if I'm just squinting, it's all the same product, but you have these really cool lifestyle photos that speak to it. Like the paleontologist tool is surrounded by fossils and a pick and a brush, and the um, the engineering one has like a really cool uh, like Cree LED flashlight I recognize right away and like a 10 millimeter bit, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Are you doing the photos? Oh yeah, doing it all myself. Uh, it's been it's been a progression, but uh, you know, uh, Sony camera, Facebook Marketplace, uh, some props, a few YouTube videos. It's it's not that hard to get decent videos up there uh, by yourself. I just you know I've I, I do a lot of these things myself, and so I just rummage around through all my stuff, and I pull it. Oh, I've got a soldering iron. I've got some wire over here. Um, you know, I've got some molecular models over here from that one time I did a outreach demo. So I just kind of put it all together. Get some old textbooks. Um, the, the fossils I had to order on Amazon, which I didn't know you could order, like real million-year-old fossils on Amazon. Uh, and then just set up a scene. You know, I used gravel from my backyard <laughs> to make it look real. And I got some comments. The, the paleontologist that made it for me, uh, he's going to take it out into the field and take some more images for me. But he said mine were already so good, he wasn't sure he needed to. <laughs> and I noticed in the, the pocket engineer one, there's like, we got some uh, six-point sockets here, or eight-point sockets. And yeah, and someone say someone say the the engineer is actually even too broad, right? I've gotten suggestions to go much deeper in that as well. But you know, for the function, it's for anybody who's doing hands-on work. The and the other thing that's I fascinating about this, you're talking about like, you know, how laser focused it is. But you actually these products have quite a few reviews. Like the we're talking about the engineering version, it's got almost forty five star reviews. That's not easy to do. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And uh, it's actually you know only. 20 to 30% of my sales are actually on Shopify. Uh, I also started selling these on Amazon after much angst about being, you know, copied and ripped off. Um, and on Amazon, it's up to 300. It's, you know, it pegged, it pegged um, the best gift for engineers, uh, Amazon's choice. So that was a huge one for me. And the reviews just keep coming in there. So that's all the social proof I need to go out there and continue to sell them. That's, oh, that, that's fabulous. Congratulations. Do you Thank see- you. Is there crossover? Do you see people who receive this as a gift um, or purchase on Amazon? Do they do they join your newsletter? Follow? You know, do you keep those customers? I try my best, and that's a hard one. Uh, one kind of Jedi trick I did is I laser engraved a QR code onto the product itself. So Amazon doesn't oh, like you putting yeah, inserts. Yeah, I just noticed that. Right? Yeah, Amazon does not like you putting inserts into there, asking them to go to your Shopify website, uh, but. I laser engraved a QR code, which goes to a special page, and I update the page every month with new discounts, uh, company news. I put like a funny science cartoon in there, um, and a couple other you know tools and resources that I've dug up. So that's the incentive, and I get um, I'd say probably five to ten percent of my Amazon sales end up using that QR code at least once uh, and going to the website. And then on the website, on that page, there's an email capture form and an X intent form. So I'm trying to pick up as much of that as I can. The well smart way to do it. Uh, and I love the the pop-ups on your site. It like pops up. It's got that 
famous photo of Albert Einstein with his tongue out. It's great. <laughs> Thanks. The, in Googling you, I discovered uh, that British media picked you up. You've got uh, the BBC, the Telegraph, all have covered what you're doing. How the heck did you manage that? <laughs> well, it wasn't easy. It took a while. Um, it started when... So, the products that we just talked about are more, you know, they're fun products, they're useful products. They're not cause-based products. And they're not something that you can easily convince a journalist to talk about for you. Um, and that built the foundation for the product that I really wanted to tackle as from all my experience in science is lab coats. Lab coats are the bane of most scientists' existence, even though they wear them every day. Uh, so what I did is I decided I don't know how to design the world's best lab coat, but with maybe a thousand people's responses, uh, I could piece together what a good design would look like. So about a year and a half ago, I launched a survey, just Google Forms, you know, totally free, uh, and embedded it on my website. And I asked people to tell me about their problems with their lab coat. And it included things like the sizes, um, what's too big, what's too small, what pockets do they need, what are they using for, uh, what colors do you want? And how much are you willing to pay for a lab coat that you think would be great? And probably the most important form uh, and question in the form was actually, I just said, rant about your lab coat. Tell us whatever you want. We're really good listeners. And that was the most important question I asked, because when you do a survey like that, your feedback is limited by your own imagination of what questions you ask. But when you encourage people to write all their thoughts and feelings out as much as they want in in a question at, towards the end of the survey, you get so much better information. And I was just listening to one of your other podcasts. They talked about um, customer avatars. And it's, it's really easy to make your customer avatar when they just write it for you. Um, and so we got to, you know, it took, a, it took about a year, but we got to over a thousand responses. Uh, we're up to 1,500 now. And I followed a very specific process um, I want to shout out. It's on the free online course on the SEMrush Academy. And it is called Mastering Digital PR with Brian Dean. And he kind of talked about how to take, how to make a source magnet and how to get people to um, cover that for you in the, in the press and how to get people to rally behind it. And oh, so that, I decided. Is that Brian yeah, Dean from Backlinko? Yes. Same Brian. Okay. Yeah, I follow his newsletter because I'm like, there's, there's so much snake oil with SEO. So when you find someone you trust, you listen. Brian Dean yeah. is one of those people. And he's been on, I had him as a guest. I was thrilled to have him. Um, yeah, so if he's got a course out there and it's free it's, and it's on yeah, PR, totally free. oh my gosh, I got to check that out. I will include it exactly. in the show notes. Please continue. Yeah, it's like two hours of video and you just got to really dig into the exercises. And I followed it exactly. I really committed to it. Um, and so what I did is I, I took my survey responses and I just really crunched the numbers, found something, you know, I pulled out interesting stats. One is like 90% of scientists reported that they are unhappy with their lab coats. Right or sixty percent of petite women say they can't find a lab coat small enough for them. Things like that, um, and work this into an article about. And this is the key: it, the article needs to be about the problem, not about the product that you're going to use to fix the problem. Uh, and again, it's a very specific process, and and you have to make quotable um, segments of the article and resharable figures. And that's all really important. And so. I wrote this article using all the data and the quotes made it so much richer than just putting just dry data in. Um, and then I started, I just did the legwork to find on Twitter and on the internet uh, emails and handles for journalists of niche industry magazines. So chemistry magazines, physics magazines, things like that. And I just cold called them, uh, cold emailed them, tweeted at them. And after contacting, you know, maybe 40 or 50 of them, I got uh, five to 10 that were interested in, in covering it. And so I first just got a couple of inter offline interviews that turned into articles in those magazines. And then those got picked up. So then the CBC, the Canadian Broadcast Company, asked me to be on their science podcast to talk about the lab coats also. And then... Um, that's got to be huge. That, yeah. that one That's a 60-year-old podcast. Uh, it's called Quirks and Quirks. And so then that got picked up um, by the BBC. The BBC called me and they said, hey, can we have you on in an hour? Uh, this afternoon to talk about to talk about this. We don't want to miss our cycle. Um, and then from there, the Telegraph UK picked that up, and I got great backlinks from every single one of these, which was an added bonus. 
Uh, and then, you know, I've just continued to use that article and then spin the data into another new article to try to um, really hammer about the cause. And it's, it's key that the podcasts were about the problem and about the people experiencing the problem. And only a little bit at the very end, we talk about kind of the lab coat project and the solution I'm coming up with to address it. But you just, and if you want, I can give you one more example that's uh, not about lab coats that might be a little more relatable to most of your audience. Um, so you recently had a couple of people on, you have e-bike, uh, e-commerce companies. Those are really fun podcasts to listen to. So your typical marketing might be say how easy it is to get to work on your bikes or how much fun it is or how much money you can save on gas. Like that's what you would tell your customers. But instead to make it a cause-based marketing, you could say, we need 40% of the workforce to commute by bike daily to meet the country's carbon emission targets. And then that can become your cause that people can rally behind. And so you could survey your audience, you could find publicly available data, you can figure out what the percentage is that we're at right now, maybe it's 5%. You get quotes from your audience on what was the hardest thing about making the switch? Why was it worth it? Uh, get stats from your audience on how much money the average person is saving after switching. And then that data and those quotes become a more human focused story that can help you get that press attention. And your brand is just there leading the charge. And so it's, again, it's not about your product, it's about the problem. And then you just happen to be there coming up with a solution to it that that is so brilliant that's the thing people miss i mean the issue with what makes a bad pitch bad is it is it's not self-aware and it's self-centered like i'll get a pitch that's just like hey kurt love your podcast you should put me on it so i could talk about this service i sell and that's like 90 percent of the pitches we get and i just delete them because i'm like what am i supposed to do with this right like i get how that benefits you how does that benefit my audience and whether like yeah i'm not a journalist uh but i still care about the audience right you have to and most like creators influencers and certainly journalists and media professionals care about the audience as like priority one that is the thing that makes them and so when you could have a pitch that speaks to what that audience cares about as opposed to what benefits you ah i see the difference and i see where that's that's how people um go wrong. No, I was good. My follow-up question uh, to that fabulous approach was going to be like, what does a good pitch look like? And you've touched on it. Uh, any other thoughts there? Yeah. I, I think one thing that made it so powerful for me and going back to square one with the survey, you know, a lot of customer surveys just are going to get ignored. If you really hit on a problem that deeply affects people, they're going to answer the survey for you no matter what. And so the lab coats were a problem that are so deeply ingrained in people's uh, day and how it affects their day. Now, a lot of the responses were very emotional. They were very passionate. They're like, this affects my self-esteem. I feel like an imposter. Um, it affects my productivity. I don't want to go into the lab. These are really oh, deep. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, very deep touching responses. And when it becomes that passion focused, um, it becomes more of a story. And so if you want to get the attention, you really have to hit a nerve with what is your survey about and what is it going to address? And then what is defining the problem in a way that becomes a more deeply emotional and personal issue for people? I like, well, you had that great question that adds emotion to it, but it's open-ended. You said, put it at the end, because you're kind of, you're priming the pump a little bit with the initial questions, get them thinking about it. And then at the end, you're like, hey, rant about this. I love that for rant about it as your call to action and then just leave it open-ended. With 1,500 survey results, how do you go through that in a systematic way? Like I might try just pasting it all into ChatGPT, be like, hey, give me the key <laughs> points here, buddy. Yeah, I'd say a Red Bull on a free weekend uh, would do it. Um, it. It was all collected in Google Sheets and I just had to really parse out the data, just tab after tab after tab, pivot tables, pivot tables. Um, and then after all of that data uh, was kind of in place, I read through every single comment and it was, you know, it takes hours and hours to read through that many free form responses, but I would, I'd pull those out into a separate document and kind of organize the responses based on, was this from a woman? Was it from a man? Was it from a chemist or a biologist? Um, was it a funny response? Was it an emotional response? Because I'm going to reshare some of those uh, quotes in different ways in the future. And it, it takes a lot of time, uh, but you really learn to deeply understand your audience and their problems because again, Normally you would say, look at your reviews to get the language from your customers, but this is even more, uh, 
emotional and more intimate than reviews. They're not, they're not putting this out there as a performative thing. They're, they're just telling you like a, a close friend what they actually think. And you can use that language. And so that is then being rephrased into all of my marketing, making videos. I, I read these quotes, you know, in videos on my Instagram and it, and it resonates with people that they comment, I have the same problem. And that's, it, it just takes a lot of time to do it, but overall for a big project like this, it's worth it. I'm so tired of losing revenue. Being tired of losing revenue to abandoned carts and lapsed audiences. Of course you are. Did you know that anonymous shoppers who visit your store on their phones can't receive abandoned cart emails from Shopify? Pop quiz. What do Warby Parker, Dr. Squatch, and Blendjet have in common? They all turn to retention.com to maximize their growth and reclaim lost revenue. It's money falling from the sky. With retention.com's reclaim solution, you can leverage industry leading identity resolution technology to increase your SMS and email flow revenue by up to 10 times. We am um, 10xing our list, okay? Like 10x, like I'm not even joking. Onboarding is quick and easy and implementation takes just hours, not months. Plus, retention.com's flexible pricing is based purely on incremental performance, so you only pay for what you get. Don't miss out on this amazing opportunity to grow your Shopify store and reclaim lost revenue. Visit retention.com to learn more and schedule your demo today. I mean, sending out this survey, what started with the survey and this SEM course, course from Brian Dean, where it turns into you've got this incredible resource, a database of people and how they feel your target market about this lab coat. And because you are in your target market, you know it, you understand it. Like that didn't come out of nowhere. You do. Lab, apparently lab coats suck. I had, did not realize this. Um, and so now you have, you're able to craft a story. You're able to craft a PR pitch. Uh, you've got phenomenal content and copywriting that'll come out of this because of this voice of customer resource. And backlinks and then I'm sure there's like a flywheel effect there where you get more and more out of it but also I mean really like the core thing we want to do here is develop a new product you it sounds like you're on a mission to be the Carhartt of lab coats right like you want to be that that beloved workwear what does that look like like I, I went on your site I don't see a lab coat for sale yet <laughs> exactly uh, I wish it were I, I've getting emails out of, out of left field, uh, where can I buy these lab coats? Uh, and I have to keep saying they're not ready yet. So designing the product, uh, is always difficult, but it becomes a lot easier when people tell you exactly what they want. And so this first version that we're going to make is meant to be kind of the crowd pleaser, aggregating the data, you know, people can't get mad at me for the decisions, the design decisions, because it's literally just how people voted. This is what they want. This is where they want the pockets, how many they want. This is, do they want zippers or snaps? And th these are all important design decisions that are going into this. And further, I, out of that survey, I took uh, some of the more engaged people and <clears throat> offered uh, to see if they wanted to test the lab coats before they launch. And so I put together this beta test group of about 30 people that are the kind of the biggest fans. And they're all going to get a free lab coat, uh, two free lab coats, one for the test and one for the final launch of the final design. And that's also going to help turn into my UGC content uh, pre-launch. And so... The design is, okay, I'm trying to decide what color button should I put on it? And so let me launch a poll on Instagram uh, and then just let people vote. And I got a clear answer. And I was I was half and half. I got a very clear answer on Instagram of which one people wanted. Uh, and then what do we name the lab coats? Oh gosh, how should we, what should we call them? And I launched a poll. Uh, should it be Marie Curie? Should it be Rosalind Franklin for the women's? You know, should the men's be Albert Einstein or should it be Carl Sagan? And I got hundreds of responses to the poll to name the lab coats. Uh, again, just driving it from my email list, from Instagram, from Twitter, to embedded things on my website. Uh, and then more recently, I, I also, for instance, launched a pocket protector um, that's going to pair with the lab coat, and I, I need to know what colors to make it. And I posted about this on your, your Facebook group, so someone can go to the Facebook group and, and reference the, the process, but I used a, a utility called Poll Unit, and that let me embed an upvoting and downvoting utility into my product page. Uh, and each each item that they can vote on is a color swatch from my manufacturer. Um, and then they can go and upload or downvote their favorite colors. And so I chose like 12 to start. For instance, um, other people can add their own, like a feature request. 
And so 20 people added more colors that they wanted to see. And some of them outperformed the ones that I, I picked. So apparently I don't have very good style. And that's telling me exactly which three colors I should launch first. And then here's the laundry list of if I want to add colors later, there they are. Um, and so I'm going to, going to do the same thing uh, with feature requests for lab coats. And most importantly, um, I, for apparel, you know, the MRQs on these are like a, a thousand per, per gender. Um, the total spend to get a men's and women's is going to be like $45,000 up front. And so I decided to try to crowdfund as much of that as I can. And I set the goal at half and I'm being very transparent of like, we need 300 lab coats per gender that'll cover half the manufacturing costs. And we're a small business, but we're going to take the risk and we're going to cover the other half. And I'm telling them exactly how much money that is and exactly how much money each lab coat costs to manufacture. And so putting that all together, I'd say we have to hit 300 or we're not going to make this. And so many people are so deeply invested in the success of this project already. I don't think I have 300 per gender, but they have friends. I have maybe 50 or hundred per gender and, and they want to see succeed because they've been so deeply involved in the design process and the decisions and naming the colors, everything. And so the pre-order campaign, I'm going to use uh, the crowdfunder app, uh, embedded in the Shopify store, which basically over overlays uh, a widget onto the product page that says you've sold five or, you know, 500 out of, uh, your goal. And it puts a time limit on it and it tells you, it gives you that sense of urgency. We need to hit this goal by this amount of time. And this is how far along you are. And so doing that pre-order gets people to say, oh gosh, we're only at a hundred. I need to go find some friends and see if they want to put an order in too, or maybe I should order too, because I need one to be clean at all times. And so it kind of generates that, that network effect, um, in, especially with the pre-order, you know, scientists, people who wear lab coats, they don't work by themselves. They work with other people wearing lab coats. And so all we need is to see, you know, one person per lab and get them to go, Hey, Hey guys, we're 50 short on this pre-order. It's not going to happen unless you order. Do you want to add a, a lab coat to my order? And that's kind of the, the network effect we're going for and using the, uh, the crowdfunder app and the pre-order campaign to get there. As the, the gentleman who co-owns the crowdfunder app, I am so excited by this process and approach and thrilled to hear it. Um, the, so I think what's so fascinating to me that you've done differently than other people, because we've seen a lot of crowdfunding campaigns, is you started with crowdsourcing and not, and like you did the survey, which was brilliant, but then really extended that crowdsourcing idea out where it's like it started with this in-depth survey and the in-depth survey moved into then these kind of like micro polls where you're having people vote on individual aspects. So you really very much involved them to the point where it became this com truly community crowdsourced design product. And then like everybody's involved, you know, invested emotionally here in creating this. And then we move to crowdfunding, same deal. The other thing I think that is, that's brilliant here is, you know, upfront you're telling them these are our costs. These are like, this is everything. These are all the details, entirely truthful and honest and authentic and gets them involved. Um, and then you're saying, hey, our goal is half of what this is going to cost to make because we're going to have just as much skin in the game as you. Exactly. I You got to write this up as a standard operating procedure and then sell it. Like I want your two hour course on this whole process. You could sell that on the site would be fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, and, and really, I, I plan to repeat this process, right? Uh, the first lab code is a crowd pleaser, but a lot of people say we want this or we want that or we want a different color. And I'm just going to launch a poll, figure out what the winner is, then launch a pre-order uh, on my website around the winner of that poll. And if it doesn't meet the order, we won't make it. And it just rinse and repeat. And that's the best way I know to validate the demand, especially for a small business where you can't just throw 100 grand down on a from upcoming product order launch without really testing it ahead of time. Yeah, this you're putting in a lot of time and effort up front to ensure this is successful, but you're hugely mitigating the risk. Like the the cash outlay for you um, is is reduced in this process. And, and you can you could take it the whole way. You could pre-order the pre-order goal could set up the entire manufacturing run to be funded. Right, it just depends on your risk tolerance. And and for me. Um, I think if we can get halfway there, I think that'll be enough of a demand signal to go ahead and make it. And I'm sure we'll sell the rest. Within the the crowdfunding product itself, do you do 
Is it just like, hey, you know, place your per like it's one one order per coat, and you know, place your order, then we'll collect the details later, which is you know one way you could do it, or is it like here's you know a series of options or like backer levels? What's the what's the setup we're going with? Yeah, so people can order as many as they want in one. I'm actually encouraged. So we're not doing free shipping because I'm publishing the margins. The margins are very very good and compared to most apparel industry uh, products. I'm publishing the margins. I'm saying here, we can't offer free shipping because here are the margins. And here's how, if we do free shipping and free returns, we won't make any money and this business will fail. And I'm being very transparent about that. And so it's gonna cost them money for shipping, but if they order more lap coats in one order, the cost per shipping goes down. And so I'm encouraging people and saying, here's the shipping cost for one, and here's the shipping cost for 10. And so if you get your whole lab order, you might only pay $2 in shipping instead of 10. And that's helping this network effect a little bit. And then the other thing I'm doing to try to drive urgency is I'm, I'm doing tiered uh, orders, uh, order pricing. So the first 100 will be 15% off. The second 100 will be 10% off. And the third 100 will be 5% off. Then after that, it goes up to full price. And I'm setting the bar that this price will never be lower again it will never discount it below that price. And so that drives this urgency of, if you want the best price, you better get in there right away. Um, and then the other layer of that is I'm saying, well, the, the link to order will go out to our email list two hours before it's going to be posted on social media. So again, if you want to be able to lock in that lowest price, you should be on the email list to get the link right away. And I'm again, I'm being transparent. That's going to be out there for everybody to see weeks ahead of time. And then the mechanics of the order I'm making, there, there's so many things that in this, there's like, does it pass your safety requirements? What do the size charts look like? Um, how many do I need? What if I need to use a PO? All of these things are baked into kind of a difficult purchasing process. And people want to be fast on the pre-order. And I don't want to have to go back and edit all of these orders manually later with a bunch of emails. So I'm putting out a series of emails to my list and videos to the Instagram following of here's what to expect on launch day and this is starting two weeks ahead of time uh, just a series on pricing a series on the pre-order timing a series of what if we fail here's how everything works and by the way did you get the sizes yet from your other lab mates because you don't want to go to order yours and not remember the sizes that your lab mates needed so make sure you have everything ready ahead of time so you can order immediately when you get to the page on launch day before everybody else gets access to it how did you think of everything in advance like I've been involved in so many of these. I wouldn't have thought of half the stuff you have. I mean, this is really quite brilliant. Where, what was the inspiration here? Like, have you done this before? We just don't know. <laughs> no, this is my first time. And yeah, the pre-order is not going to go live for, you know, four to six weeks still. So it's, it was just a lot of sitting down and thinking through the process. Um, a lot of time spent at coffee shops and going through the mechanics i think you really have to go through and make the order yourself and and see what do i need to know the beta tester group helped a lot because i made them place an order on shopify so that i get all the shipping instructions in there and get the logistics handled all through the shopify admin and so i worked out some kinks there and then you know you need your abandoned cart emails you need your post purchase flows everything else set up for the pre-order uh, because they can cancel their order after the pre-order uh, until it ships so you also need to retain those orders for the you know the three to six months until the product actually gets to them and so I just, you just really have to sit down there and focus and think through every piece of it as you go. Do you have, do you have other advice that you would give to other Shopify entrepreneurs that are looking to take this approach of, of crowdsource and crowdfunding for product launches? Sure. Yeah. I don't think you can do any of it unless you have a good community and goodwill in that community. And I think I earned a lot of that up front with those fundraisers that, that helped a lot. And otherwise I haven't been the most active person on social media, um, but by taking kind of a, a fan first approach, right? I, I'm trying to do things. I'd say the biggest strength of my business is, is solving problems for the customers, but I want to solve problems with them, not for them and get, it's a discussion as we're going through these and making these products, not, I, I've done the ta-da, here's the new thing before, and it does not work that well. And so I've, I've changed that process. Um, I would shout out uh, one of the books that I think would be really helpful in this is the book Superfans by Pat Flynn. Uh, he's a little bit more in the online course and uh, coaching space, but I think 
the advice there is really valuable for e-commerce entrepreneurs also. Just building this base of getting people from just being passive customers to being really invested in your brand and the success of the products. Make things that people love uh, and they will support you and help you with it. It's true. It, it's fantastic advice. The thing I hope people take away is the amount of time you invested in understanding the customer, building the relationship, and then in doing so, then like finally hyping things, but always being entirely candid, authentic, and honest. And that system works. You can be completely not a scumbag and still be very successful. <laughs> and it, I think it, another layer of that is it works better for me. I, I'm more of a technical person. I hate selling. I hate doing sales. I hate asking people to buy anything. Uh, and I do all my own marketing. And so I don't, I don't want to do marketing. I don't want to get on Instagram and ask people to buy things. But, and, and so that really resulted in me not being very active for a long time. But when you just start telling them about what you did with the design about, and, and you're just transparent and honest the whole time, it, it's much easier than sitting there and trying to come up with some clever pitch that's going to hook somebody into buying. The last thing I wanted to talk to you about is I noticed uh, that on your site, near the bottom, it makes reference to Shopify Planet. And that came up in a, a recent episode uh, as well. What What is Shopify Planet doing for you? Shopify Planet is is pretty new, and I've, I think I'm probably one of the earliest adopters. So again, most of my customers are in the STEM fields, a lot of scientists, and tend to be a very uh, climate, you know, climate change focused, uh, conser conservationist crowd. They really care about not only the planet and climate change and things like that, but they also care about, uh, a, they're very skeptical of a lot of the schemes that are coming up around that. Right. So I, as am if I. I just did, what's that? I said, as am I, like I fundamentally, if I am successful at my job, at this podcast, more stuff gets shipped more often as a result. Well, that has a very real cost to the environment and okay. it keeps me up at night. At the same time, I am also inherently skeptical because I'm on the receiving end of stupid pitches all day. And so I'm skeptical of these carbon offset programs. I want them to work, but I also don't want to get conned. And so to hear that you have found one that you believe in is exciting. Is that the case? Shopify Planet, like this is the one you can get behind. Yeah. And I'd say generically, anything that just says we're going to plant a bunch of trees, I would stay away from that. That's been shown over and over again not to be helpful and largely a scam. Uh, Shopify Planet takes what I think is a pretty good approach. And I've shared this with my audience. I said, here's Shopify Planet. What do you think? Here's where I'm skeptical. Here's where I believe in it. Here's why I think it's good, even though we don't think it solves the problem. And I've tried to be very transparent about how that works. And so what it does is it calculates uh, the shipment, like how far is your package going to be shipped and how heavy it is? And then what's the carbon emissions coming from that shipment? And then how much does it cost to offset those carbon emissions? And everything is really uh, exact, I think, and precise until you get to how much does it cost to offset those emissions? And that's a big wide open question. But Shopify put together, are they called the Shopify Sustainability Fund? And it's it's not just paying people to plant trees. It is investing in early stage uh, startups that all have very different ways of pulling carbon out of the atmosphere. And again, I was transparent with my audience, you know, probably three quarters of these companies are going to fail, but all it takes is a handful of them to succeed. And they're at that stage right now where they really, really need that early stage funding to get from lab scale to commercialization and to really demonstrate the technologies. And so, Shopify Planet lets you put a badge on your website, like on your product page, it says um, carbon neutral shipping by Shopify Planet. And it gives you an option of you can choose the, the lowest tier of, I just want to cover the costs of my shipment in carbon. And that's it's really inexpensive. It's like five cents maybe for a four ounce package. Um, or you can say, I want to do double that cost or like triple that cost. And I chose triple that cost because I'm still not convinced that the, the minimum is, is cutting it. And again, it's like 15 cents per order. It's really inexpensive. It's really easy to do. Um, I would 
be transparent with your audience about what it's doing. But the key thing for me is it's funny early stage research, which is something that I believe in and something my audience believes in. And I know as a net, it'll be uh, a positive, even though some of this money is not going to go where it needs to be and some of the startups are bound to fail. The, you know, the, a, a healthy and positive way to look at it. Uh, I, I'll put that one in the show notes as well. Uh, tap or swipe on the show art. The, but if you just search Planet in the Shopify app store, you'll find it right away. Um, all right. Coming to the end of our time together. What's next for Genius Lab Gear after this successful lab coat crowdfunding campaign? Wow, it's uh, it's pretty far ahead to think of that. Honestly, the crowdfunding campaign is going to take a few months and then get the first orders. Once we really get the first couple thousand lab coats out there, that's where we, the design process never is never done. You know, 30 people can give us their feedback in the beta test, but then now we have 2,000 people to give us their feedback. So I plan on just continuing this. I'm going to have a detailed feedback form for the average everyday customer to tell us what's wrong with our lab coat instead of telling us what's wrong with their lab coat. Uh, and then we're going to keep iterating and make uh, different lab coat designs for different scientists, kind of like we did with the pocket cards. Uh, and then try to really break into the industry, the the wholesale market. A lot of these are lock, locked up in long-term contracts through wholesale channels. And that is the most difficult thing to break into. But I think if we get that that customer testimonial, that social proof that says this is the best lab coat at this price point that's out there, then I think uh, it'll be a lot easier to break into those bigger markets. I hope you become the Carhartt of lab coats and then in 10 years it like crosses over to the mainstream and there's going to be kids running around in like genius lab gear, Beyonce, Supreme, collab lab coats. It'll be the hottest streetwear trend. That is the dream. Uh, all right. So where, where can we go to learn more about you? So and the website is just geniuslabgear.com. Uh, if you do that slash LCP, you'll get to the landing page for the lab coat project. And there you can find those articles that I talked about that we wrote specifically for getting picked up by PR and media. You can see the survey is right there. You can take it yourself, uh, see what's involved in, in gathering that kind of feedback. Um, and that's that's really the heart of the project and where I'd love people to go. Fantastic. Derek Miller, Genius Lab Gear. Appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Kurt. It's been great. The unofficial Shopify podcast is brought to you by Loop. Loop is a returns management platform that makes returns profitable and stress-free for you and your shoppers. Loop offers automated returns, exchanges, and store credit options to lower costs and increase revenue. Do you want to offer at-home pickup or boxless drop-offs? Need to lower return costs or increase repeat purchases? How about all of the above? That's what's possible with Loop. Loop delivers customized returns management solutions for Shopify merchants of all sizes, like Studs, Princess Polly, code epoxy to turn returns into returning customers find out why thousands of shopify merchants choose loop to manage their returns at loopreturns.com that's loopreturns.com